Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And this is Josh. We are recording via the magic of Zoom because of scheduling conflicts. <laughs> so you hear about it a lot, but it's usually, you know, more important people than us. Yeah. But not <laughs> that this isn't important, but, you know, it, you got to figure out a way to do stuff sometimes. The Marvel a Day calendar on my desk tells me that it's Wednesday, July 19th. Oh, it's a Incredible Hulk number one, I believe. Yeah, we were just talking about this. Eric got me this. We have matching calendars because we're nerds. <laughs> of course. But Canada Day just rolled around and they didn't even put an Alpha Flight comic on Canada Day. And failing that, their arguably second most popular character is a Canadian and they didn't put him on there either. And I was like, wow, you're really phoning it in, whoever edits these calendars. And hilariously, what I didn't think about until you just said that is that they just re-released a facsimile version of the first Wolverine appearance last week. So it was like, oh, that was like a late Canada Day tie-in, but not at all totally an accident. But it's fun. Alpha Flight is my number one nerd wish amongst this amazing nerd world that we live in with a new epic movie every week. But Alpha Flight is in our backyard. Parliament Hill is where their secret base is, and there's various points around town that have been right in the comic book so it would be fun if they ever did a movie i wonder if they would actually come and do a bit of shooting here i think that'd be pretty cool it would be fun if they did a miniature like they just remade parliament Hill. you couldn't even it's been under construction for years and yeah. will be for years maybe another decade or something you almost think they'd have to do like a miniature because at some point they're gonna have to blow up parliament hill in the show you would think some villain's gonna do some stuff yeah, like Independence Day style of when they blew up the White House. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what's hilarious is I'm a block away from there right now, just coincidentally. But I don't see Alpha Flight, so I'll, I'll keep my eyes open. Back in the day, I worked for the Sound and Light Show, which is what it sounds like, a sound and light show. <laughs> it's one of those things where it was this big multimedia presentation right on the building, and it still goes on to this day. But what was fun is we got to crawl around in the basement and on the roof Ooh. while setting up lights and turning on power switches and stuff like that. I saw no sign of Alpha Flight, but they're supposed to be in there somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. You're not supposed to see them, though. That's their point, I thought. Yeah, but speaking of potential blockbusters and stuff, I've seen more stuff at our competition, which isn't really our competition, <laughs> in the past few weeks just because I saw... Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, so it was a few weeks back, mm -hmm. and then The Flash, and then I finally got around to seeing Indiana Jones, which I think Lee has seen four times now. <laughs> At least. And I really liked Indiana Jones. It's funny. It's a very, like anything, it's a very split decision of a movie because there's some people who are just adamant that it's the worst thing of all time and ruined their childhood and killed yeah. their dog. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just like, it's an Indiana Jones movie. He's just old, but it's kind of still just an Indiana Jones movie. And I won't spoil it on the off chance that people still don't know, but there always seems to be people who don't like the end of an Indiana Jones movie because it goes too far-fetched. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you remember the first movie, right? Where the hand of God came down and smited a bunch of Nazis and then there was ghosts and stuff <laughs> and their faces melted off. Great stuff. I was like, that's kind of what these movies do, right? But anyhow, I enjoyed it. I thought Harrison was very good, a very interesting take on an older hero at that time of his life. There's, of course, conflicts for the character, which is also always interesting because people seem to not want their heroes to have any conflict, but they want to see more adventures of their heroes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's, it's more of an interesting story if your character has been through some stuff 
versus ah, everything's fine. No, this is good. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I didn't even see the last one because I. Well, I mean, you know, partly because of all the bad stuff coming out about it, and everybody seemed to hate it. But I just kind of just didn't get around to it. I, I don't really have any ill will against it, but I kind of was thinking I would check this out. I've, yeah, I've heard mixed things, but mostly like people I trust really liked it. So kind of like the Flash, actually. Like so, I'm like I'm I'm still gonna watch them, but it's just I don't have high hopes just in case. And it's an interesting time. Somebody has coined the term, and I think it's very a truism right now of the flop buster where <laughs> a movie will make $500 million and they're like, Oh, it's a flop. And it's such a weird world because you just think of that of evil dead rise was considered a hit, but it's because it cost 15 million and made 150 million. Mm -hmm. So say that stuff like Indiana Jones or the flash makes 400 million. You're like, well, way more people saw it but it's hindered because the budget was so big. Yeah. And there's so much being made now. And this is nothing new because you go back to the 80s and there's all these crazy stats, which I might be getting wrong, but it's something like E.T. and The Thing and Poltergeist or something like that was like all released on the same day or within the same two weeks. Yeah. And most of us, you know, we're the exception. Most people don't go to the movies once a week. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I think the answer is keep budgets lower. Indy 5 was two and a half hours. And my biggest thing was like, well, make it two hours and that would save you a bunch of money. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, I guess that means that the only Evil Dead that quote unquote flopped is your favorite one, Army of Darkness, which yeah. by now, it's probably evened out by now, I gotta think. And I always think about that too, of how it's too bad we live in a world where we know so much about budgets and residuals and mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Because I think even back 40 years ago, which is a while ago, I don't think we knew exactly. I think we were just like, oh, E.T. must be doing well. It's been in theaters a long time. Or, mm -hmm. oh, that movie must not have done well. It disappeared after a week. But we didn't know. And now we're watching it like a hockey game. There's winners and losers where clearly in the long run, Army of Darkness was a winner because two movies in the same franchise came after it. Mm -hmm. There's still newly produced t-shirts action figures endless blu-ray re-releases so you know what's a hit what's a flop and then other movies that make a lot of money just kind of disappear without anyone remembering about it well yeah and the wild thing now that's coming out that a lot of people didn't know about myself included is the concept of hollywood accounting and with all the strike that's going on and a lot of the complaints is basically that whenever a studio makes a movie, or for the most part, they open up like an LLC for the movie and then lend themselves money. So like they own the LLC, they own the studio, they give themselves money, then charge themselves a percentage on that. And so that the movie never makes money, even when it does make money, just to not pay out residuals to people like it's insane. And how is it legal? And yet it's been going on since the 30s, probably. It's crazy how evil, quote unquote, Hollywood is on so many levels. <laughs> ranging from the most horrid of hashtag me too kind of stuff mm -hmm. to stuff now i forget which actor it was but they were saying they were doing some big budget movie and they were getting their faces scanned yeah and it was one for stuff like action figures but two there was somewhere deep in the contract where they were like oh yeah we'll just use this later on also for extras what they're doing now is they will hire you but scan you and then put you in the background later on, but you've signed a contract saying that's okay. So there's all this bonkers stuff going on now. And then, you know, speaking of movies like Indiana Jones that were way too expensive, there's this other theory where 
movies aren't that expensive. Like, say Indiana Jones was $150 million, but they will say, oh, no, that was $200 million, but it's just all this, like, accounting and false claims of where the money's going. Mm -hmm. And then the studio pockets that and makes it look like the movie only broke even instead of being a hit. So there's all kinds of weird stuff like that, too, going on. And then the movie will go on to Disney Plus and Video On Demand and sell few blu-rays and that's a whole other barrel of fish of money not going where it should so it's an interesting time with these strikes going on and big movies not making as much as they thought they would i'm very curious where the dominoes are gonna fall because you know someone like blumhouse clearly has it all figured out because he's like nope we're gonna spend 20 million and make 80 million we're gonna spend 10 million and make 60 million Mm -hmm. and everyone's cool yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Like the, one of the cool things in a horrible way is like there's a lot of actors now who are on hit shows or who were on hit shows and they're photographing their residual checks and they're like, oh, hey, you know who I am. You know, I'm on a successful show. We all know that. Well, here's what I get from that show. And it's like three cents. Yeah, that's including, you know, Disney Plus, Netflix, whatever, all that. And, and you're just sort of like, people are struggling. So many people, it, it kind of is similar to kind of like Elon Musk and Zuckerberg and all the defenders of those people where you're just sort of like, they don't care. Why are you defending CEOs? They don't care about you. Like these aren't, I'm not going to say these aren't good people. I'll leave that up to others to decide, but I'm like, they don't need you to defend them. <laughs> well, and it's when, I think it's the Warner Brothers guy who I'm of course always mad at because he canned a Finnish Scooby-Doo movie and a Finnish Batgirl movie. <laughs> I like that you said Scooby-Doo first. <laughs> Yeah, that's well, God, that one makes me the most mad because I read some articles from the filmmakers where I think at least Batgirl isn't finished. So at least there's the excuse of, yeah, we still need to go do more shooting and do special effects. The Scooby-Doo Christmas cartoon was done. (laughs) They did a full orchestra score for it. And Mark Hamill was in it. And he's like, yeah, I did all my voice stuff for it. It's done. They have a finished movie. And I'm like, just come on. So supposedly that guy, whatever he made, $50 million a year. and his actors are getting what is minimum wage for an actor and then a three cent residual check. And they're bragging about how many eyeballs are watching their cable channels and how much money they're making. And it's like, well, why don't you make 20 million a year and take that other 30 million and sprinkle it amongst your employees? Wouldn't that be nice? I hate to tell you, I think he actually makes like 130 to 150 million a year. Oh God. Sorry. Well, see there, like, so (laughs) say it's 130, be like, Hey, why don't you make 30 million a year and take that hundred million? Can you imagine how much everybody would love him if he was like, yep, every single actor is getting a decent residual check. Every single crew member, whether you're a sound recordist or a grip, we're giving y'all time and a half all day long now, whatever. And just the math. And it's like, probably like, you're what, you're 55, 60 years old, and you're making 130 million a year. You're not going to go through that. Why not spread it around? No, honestly, like, even if they were making like 10 million a year, like, it's still not, you know, you're making more than any of us are ever going to make in 10 lifetimes, you know? (laughs) Can you imagine if us Mayfair bosses were rolling in with top hats and monocles and butlers? And we're like, Nope, sorry, can't afford to get everyone a Christmas bonus this year. Well, I assume if Lee didn't buy so much Star Wars stuff, he would probably be a billionaire by now. But That is. <laughs> that's that's the harsh secret. <laughs> it's worth it, though, for him. So it's, it's all good. But on this train of thought, what is interesting is we saw a trailer for a movie called The Creator, which has kind of come out of nowhere. Oh, yeah. It's directed by Gareth Edwards, who did Godzilla and Rogue One. And it stars little baby Washington, John David Washington. Oh, yeah. 
And it's a big, epic-looking sci-fi movie. Mm -hmm. Very kind of prescient in that it's about AI versus humans and all that kind of stuff. And it's always funny to say only, but the budget of this movie is only $86 million. Mm -hmm. And it looks like an Avatar or a Star Wars that would be much more expensive than that. Yeah. So I think it helps that there's no Harrison Ford in it, so that's saving them some money. But I think people are getting smarter of, of having longer scenes with no effects and then shorter scenes with the effects and make those shorter scenes really big and really impressive. So it'll be interesting to see where this movie goes because I do believe it's original. Yeah. Like it's not based on a comic or a video game. It's a director who has Rogue One. It gets a say from the director of Rogue One. I think pretty much everybody loves that movie. Yeah. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And this movie being 86 million does not have to make a billion dollars the way that an avatar does. So I hope it does well because people are always crying about no original content and here we got some. Yeah, and it's funny too because Zack Snyder has got Rebel Moon coming out in December, which is another original property ironically developed after Star Wars turned him down for his R-rated take on Star Wars, which right. kind of makes sense even as much as I would have loved to see that. So it is going to be kind of interesting to see if one or both of these hits and actually ends up being a good movie. Like It'll be nice to see like an original big budget well, big-ish budget sci-fi do well. Yeah, because there's always original movies. I always get snippy when people are like, I've got to go see Transformers again. And it's <laughs> like, no, there's always good stuff out there. You just have to go see it. And, you know, mm -hmm. stuff like in the past few years, stuff like Parasite and Everything Everywhere are great examples of movies that did very well in the box office and are original and everybody loved them. And also coming out, I'm also never... I never dislike something based on something if it's good. Mm -hmm. And another, I don't even know if it's controversial. There's a little bit of controversy, but saw the trailer for Barbie. Oh, yeah. It looks fantastic. <laughs> it looks really good. Yeah, it does. It looks very akin to the Lego movie. I just kind of, I trust Greta Gerwig. I have no qualms with selling out or doing a big movie, but I don't think she would have done it unless she had a really good idea. And I think she had a really good idea and good on... Who is it, Mattel, for letting her do something weird instead of just a kind of romantic comedy kind of movie or something? Mm -hmm. And apparently it's excellent. It reviewed last night, I think, for critics. And yeah, apparently it's exactly what you think it is. Is it opening the same day as Oppenheimer? I think so. Oh, interesting. That's extra funny because I got an email from my dad yesterday, which is sort of random already, to be honest. But And so notoriously, like he's old and I don't want to say broken down. It sounds mean, but anyway, he's a little old. And so it just, we don't see movies. I've taken him to see like The Searchers at Mayfair. And like, I think the last thing we saw was Dunkirk. So anyways, I, so I was shocked to receive an email that was like, do you want to go see Oppenheimer in Canada, preferably in IMAX? Oh. And I was like, first of all, he's never even talked about IMAX. And like, second of all, he hates that Canada theater because the parking lot is so insane. And then it just, he hates it. And also I was just like, you want to go see a modern new movie, like a big budget? Like it was just, it's, I'm reeling, you know, I was never expected that. So apparently I'm going to see Oppenheimer in IMAX, which I didn't ever plan to do. I mean, I, I, I want to see the movie, of course, but I didn't think I'd be going out of my way like this. And so uh, I guess I'm excited, I suppose. I know he's a Western buff, but is he like um, a history or modern history kind of aficionado? Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like he likes war movies and Westerns and history and he's all kind of stuff surrounded by that. But he, he hasn't said a word about this movie until literally yesterday. 
So I just kind of thought he wouldn't care. But then also I was like, wait, is he a closet Christopher Nolan fan? Because the only movies that we've seen in the last few years have been Nolan movies. So I was like, hey, all right, maybe we'll watch The Prestige next. Yeah, I'm very curious. I bear Oppenheimer no ill will. I'll totally see it when we get it at the Mayfair, which I'm sure we will because we've gotten all Mm -hmm. his past movies. It'll be a couple months. But I wonder if, I think the idea was we'll release Oppenheimer and Barbie and that'll split the audience because they profile their audience a lot, right? They're like, oh, Barbie fans won't want to go see Oppenheimer and Oppenheimer fans won't want to go see Barbie. So it'll be fine. But I think Barbie's going to squash Oppenheimer. Probably. In the long run, in the old days, movies had legs and you'd be like, oh, I'll go see Barbie today and Oppenheimer in three weeks. But now Hollywood wants to make all the money the first weekend. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I could be wrong, but I think maybe Oppenheimer might be one of those movies that does okay. You know, it's not going to ruin anyone's career. And then it might win a bunch of awards, but I don't think it's going to be like a big blockbuster just because of the content. Like, it's not something that you're like, you know, something like Barbie or Star Wars. You're like, hey, let's go see that again. It really counts on that repeat business. I can't imagine many people being like, yeah, let's go see Oppenheimer again. No, I'm just hoping that it's in IMAX for two weeks because we were going to go this weekend, but it was just the timing wasn't great. And I was also like, it's going to be jammed. I don't really want to do that. So we're shooting for next Sunday. And I was like, please be in IMAX for two weeks. That's what is nice is because things move so fast at the multiplex is we waited a couple of weeks to see Indiana Jones and it was empty when we went, not empty. There was like 30 people in there, but you know, it's kind of sad. I do miss the days of which to talk about us, we still do have at the Mayfair because when we have the big event movies, the weird movies, we get a big crowd and it's that fun. It's that buzz. It's hearing people laugh, hearing people be scared. Mm-hmm. And I do miss those days of lining up at nine in the morning to go see Phantom Menace, but it's gone now because it's all advanced tickets, right? Like you just, you can show up at 6.58 for your seven o'clock movie. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of all gone by the multiplex. So I do like when we have the big event stuff, which we have some on the horizon, whether it's Saturday morning cartoons or Rocky Horror or a Neil Breen movie or mm-hmm. a new Tommy Wiseau movie. Those still feel like that first night anticipation, that first night crowd. And it really is the difference between watching a movie at home, right? Yeah, which is why we're pushing so hard to get the new Nick Cage movie next week, because you got to have the premiere of that at the House of Cage, obviously. Oh, God, I hope so. Who's in that? Ron Perlman and Ernie Hudson? No, that's the one that's coming out in August. Another one? Oh, there's so many. Well, I know. We're blessed to get two Cage movies within three weeks. Yeah. And they both look amazing. But yeah, no, this one, I can't remember. The other guy that's in it with him, it's basically like Cage and another guy. And I think Cage is maybe playing the devil, and but you don't really know. Yeah. And then the other guy is, it's one of those guys where I was like, oh, okay, that guy. And he's in TV shows and stuff. And I was like, and he's probably a guy who's not rich and is now striking to try to get fair <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, that looks really fun. I'm like, I never actually expect Lee to get, you know, these movies, but I'm also like, oh boy, because it is my birthday week next week. So I'm like, come on, we need this. Because the last one we got, we got a few because like mm-hmm. Color Out of Space and Mandy and Mum and Dad. We've had a good run. Of- yeah. Pig, I don't think we got first, but we had it no. for a good little chunk. Well, and that was because, I mean, that one actually was like a hard awards buzz kind of thing. So they really were trying to play that one a lot, you know, but that did really well for us, too, I think. Yeah. Oh, it did. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's stop talking about multiplex movies (laughs) and mention what we are screening the week of Friday, July 21st through Thursday, July 27th, 2023. Perfect. First up, we have Past Lives held over for a second week. It's been doing really well. Last night, 
every once in a while this happens and i feel bad for the staff but usually during the week we're totally fine with a manager and a candy bar person because we max out at 50 people a show and Mm -hmm. that's totally manageable last night inexplicably for a weeknight we had 112 people for past lives oh wow to show you though the matinee was 21 people and the nine o'clock show was 21 people it's so hard to staff because in a perfect world where we were all making that big warner brothers money we would just have a whole bunch of staff on every night Mm -hmm. but we both can't afford that and it doesn't make sense because say that was 21 people for three shows totally fine but it's this weird thing where you can't book someone just for one movie because that's not good. So you book them for two movies for a minimum, say, like four hour mini shift or something. But then it's two people for a small amount of 10 customers buying popcorn. And then you're swamped with this big hit. So it was an anomaly last night. It was very strange. So it was doing well, but not that well. Yeah. So last night, just for some reason, everybody came to see Past Lives. That's super weird. Did they think it was cheap night? And that's why they all went out on a Tuesday. I wonder. There was a lot of non-members. Did they get there and they were like, oh, it's cheap night. And then they realize our ticket is the same price as cheap night, I think. And then they're just like, hey, cheap night. Yeah. And they're like, well, I'm not walking two blocks. Come on. (laughs) Uh, But Past Lives is a very, I was mistaken. I thought it was a sliding doors kind of thing, but it's more of a here's two characters in their youth, in their 20s, and in their 30s. Mm -hmm. And you see what you can kind of speculate what might have happened. If the woman hadn't have moved away from South Korea, would they have stayed together? Would they have become more than friends? When they're reunited in their 30s, what their lives are like. So it's, it's a very interesting character piece about what happens in your life on a decision. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if she hadn't moved, maybe they would have got married. But instead, she met somebody in the States and got married and they're happy and everything. So it's a very interesting Not heavy, but just a very interesting look on one's life and the decisions you make and how that affects those around you. It almost sounds more like the before sunset, after sunset trilogy kind of thing in a way. Kind of, yeah. I got mistaken because I read a review and it kind of, I thought it was doing the sliding doors thing of like, oh, here's Mm -hmm. her life in South Korea and here's her life in New York. But it's more of just looking back on the past. I think it skips 12 years. So it's like them as kids skips 12 years and then skips 12 years again. And so you see those three kind of touchstones in their life. And it's a New York movie, which I'm always guilty of just kind of sitting back and going like, oh, I wish I lived in a cool apartment in New York City. Yeah, but you're also the kind of guy who's like, oh, they walked by a theater. What play? It was that Attack of the Clones. I can't quite see the poster. Oh, 100%. Like, focus yeah. on those things. <laughs> So then, much anticipated by our Mayfair patrons, we have Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson oh. film. Oh, I'm so excited for this. I think it's science fiction. I think it's like a... If it's not science fiction, it's like a science fiction adjacent because it's like a weird little Area 51 kind of desert town. Mm -hmm. And some in the town are like alien fanatics. And so I'm not sure if it's like there's a hoax or if aliens actually show up, but I'm just going from the trailer. Yeah. As most Wes Anderson movies, I think except going back to his early ones, it's a crazy cast. Yeah. Who's in it? Scarlett Johansson, Maya Hawke, who I really like, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Tom Hanks, Jeff Goldblum, Edward Norton. And I think there's like 15 more celebrities in this movie. Oh, yeah. No, it doesn't stop. And it's Wes Anderson. So it's one of those movies where the reviews are always, do you like Wes Anderson? You'll love this movie. (laughs) Do you not like Wes Anderson? Don't go see this movie. 
Yeah, it's basically like sliding doors, says Josh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just one of those filmmakers. I adore him. I love him. I love his look. I love the cinematography. I love the way the actors act. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, it's no different than a than a David Lynch or a John Waters or even a Steven Spielberg. It's like some people just don't like a filmmaker. And Wes Anderson yeah. has that super stylized style that some people just can't get behind. But a lot of people clearly do because he's been doing his thing for a long time. Yeah, I mean, he might be, I never think about this, but he might be my favorite filmmaker when I really stop and think about all of his movies. And I was like, oh, I love that, love that, love that. You know, like there isn't really any of his movies that I hated. There's just ones where I was like, you know, that was fine kind of, but there's no, even Bottle Rocket, like I really enjoy it. And it's kind of funny that you talk about he later on got celebrity cast. Cause I mean, that one had Luke and Owen Wilson in it before they were anybody. So it's kind of funny. Now you're like, oh, even that one had stars. So, well, not really. Yeah. And as far as I understand it, This is an old story, but I do believe it's one of those funny things where Owen Wilson did not want to be an actor when he grew up, but Mm -hmm. his brother and friend Wes Anderson were making a short film called Bottle Rocket and they made him be in it. (laughs) And then they put him in the feature film and there you go. But he just backed into it. He just had a natural talent in front of the camera, but he had no aspirations. He didn't go to school for it or anything. So... Yeah, you can kind of get that from his vibe too. Like he has a very laissez-faire feel to a lot of his stuff and you're and just a natural charm, obviously, kind of like Vince Vaughn a little bit. Okay, so next up we have the return of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh. Hosted by the absent friend Shadowcast. I keep meaning to ask Sam if he has a better record of this. It's something I could figure out, but it would be a bit of uh digging through the vaults and math, but mm. I don't know how many movies the absent friends have hosted. How many nights of Rocky Horror? Yeah. It's been a while because it's been pretty much our whole run and we've been running the place since uh, January 2009. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it's been a little while, but I've completely lost track. But, you know, Rocky Horror is one of our mainstays. We do it once a month. The Absent Friends, if you're not familiar, it's basically like you're getting to watch a live improv show at the same time as the movie with a sing-along and the whole thing. And and they're really good at it. You know, they've put in their 10,000 hours of hosting Rocky Horrors. (laughs) Yeah, it's almost William Castle-ish in a way, uh, kind of thing. You see the movie, but there's also the extra gimmicky stuff. It just happens to be people singing and yelling stuff. And what's fun is it always evolves. Like they will put in topical jokes Mm -hmm. and local stories in Ottawa, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, you know, we keep bringing it back because it keeps doing well. And it's a rare thing that Disney was like, yep, you can keep showing it because that was the big concern a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. that they would lock it away. But but yeah, so Rocky Horror Picture Show back on Friday the 21st at the slightly earlier time of 945 instead of a midnight show. That was my next question. So that's good. I'm glad that's doing well like that. Yeah, yeah. Then another new film, Master Gardener. It's the new one from Paul Schrader, who, of course, famously back in the day wrote stuff like Taxi Driver and American Gigolo. But Mm. in the past few years, he's been on a real good writer-director run Yeah, with kind of, someone said it's an unofficial trilogy, First Reformed, The Card Counter, and now this one. And I guess the theme is all kind of like quiet central characters with a dark past, because this one is Joel Edgerton as a simple man who works as a landscaper or gardener, but he has a dark past. It looks really good. Sigourney Weaver's also in it. So it's kind of like a crime genre mystery kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, Taxi Driver is also about like a somewhat quiet guy with stuff going on. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. He has a theme. 
Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, this one doesn't have what's his name, uh, Poe Dameron in it, unfortunately. No, but it has Joel Edgerton, so it has Uncle Owen. Okay, all right. Has another Star Wars dude in it. Fine, we're, we're okay then. That's equal to. We all know Lee only books movies with Star Wars actors in it. It's true. It's, it's hard. I need Cage to be in more things with Star Wars people or to be in a Star Wars. Oh, himself. I wish. Well, they keep making him, so maybe he'll show up sooner or later. Oh, yeah. Then we continue our Creature Feature Film Fest for July with the last of the ripoff movies before <laughs> we screen Jaws in a week. Because kind of the fun theme this month was that Jaws is the payoff. Mm -hmm. And then before that, we're showing three really fun B-movies that were all blatantly ripped off of Jaws. Mm -hmm. And so it was Grizzly and Piranha and then now Alligator. Which is the arguably the best, you know, yeah. uh, giant, giant aquatic. I mean, not Jaws, but, you know, besides Jaws, it's one of the best easily. And it's funny. It has the very cliche urban myth story of it's somebody who had a pet alligator and flushed it down the toilet. Then it grew to a big giant size in the sewers of New York. And that's the villain of the movie. And I think its name is Ramon, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. I believe the, alligator, the kid names the alligator Ramon, and then it gets flushed and eats homeless people and then other people as well. And it's interesting, the behind the scenes is it's directed by Louis Teague, who went on to do all kinds of stuff, kind of a journeyman director, but he did Cujo and Cat's Eye. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then John Sayles, who did a ton of B stuff and a ton of rewrites and work for hire kind of stuff, mm -hmm. but also was Oscar nominated for Lone Star and Passion Fish. Oh, yeah. But then directed a bunch of stuff like Eight Men Out and Secret of Rowan Inish. One of those real day job will rewrite stuff like Jurassic Park 3. Yeah. But then his passion stuff, his indie stuff is all hugely acclaimed and award-winning so he's had this really back and forth career where he's i think he's one of to this day one of hollywood's big kind of ghost writers but then he'll put out a little indie film and get a bunch of praise and win a couple of awards and he wrote half the movies in our creature feature film fest yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually i saw him yeah when i saw piranha in la like i saw him talk and oh yeah it was sweet like because you're just yeah he's like he's done so many cool things i've never seen lone star but i've heard it's incredible Back in my college days, I worked at Fifth Avenue Cinemas in Vancouver, and it was there. It was around the time of, like, Sling Blade and that. Mm -hmm. But Lone Star was a, uh, yeah, just another one of those. An example of a movie that doesn't make $100 million, but is a classic and just universally acclaimed. Just a really good cop movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I really need to get around to seeing that. It's just, and that's the thing. Like, it's such a deep filmography that it is fun to see the sort of B movie trying your stuff out stuff, and then the more acclaimed, you know, obviously doing his own thing thing. It's like quite a jump in a career. That always happens. Like how you know we all know Jack Nicholson, but how I just saw The Passenger, a fifty-year-old movie, two weeks ago, and barely knew anything about it. So. That's the thing, like whenever we wish those striking all the best, but whenever there is a strike, there's always this threat of, oh, we're not going to have movies. <laughs> or when COVID happened, oh, we're not going to have movies. And it's always like, yeah, that's a shame, but there's so much classic stuff that none of us have seen yet. And no. there's always people re-releasing and restoring. So it's kind of not too much of a heartache that if movies get delayed six months, um, I'll be like, yeah, that's okay. I've always got too much to see anyhow. And then we can just book a bunch of old movies. But there's for every every time you think you've caught up, there's like, oh, there's 15 new movies from the 1980s that I've never heard of before. 
Yeah, and we're already stuck on television, you know, as it is. So I can't, there's not enough hours in the day. Oh, yeah. If I could take TV out of the equation, and I pride myself in trying to only watch good TV, I don't just sit around and watch reality shows. But uh, yeah, there really is not enough hours in the day. No, it's not one week at a time. We're doing our best. Yeah. Finally, this week, I will mention we have a rental in from a local production company called Trap House Productions. They have been kind enough to pick us to host the world premiere of their movie called The Amazing Compulsion. All right. It is a, not in an insulting manner, I will say it's likely a (laughs) no budget or low budget locally produced superhero movie. Oh, what? But on a sliding scale, I wouldn't say superhero the way like Spider-Man. Right. But I think something more close to, you know, Mystery Men or The Tick, like that kind of superhero movie. Okay. Gotcha. All I know is the blurb they've sent us. And so I haven't even seen the trailer yet. But that's always so much fun to have a local crew come in and see their work on the big screen. They said they've already sold 75 tickets. So that's great for them. Oh, nice. And then it's always good for us because then, you know, moms and dads and boyfriends and girlfriends all come and we sell a lot of popcorn and there you go. Low or no budget is like, I mean, that's basically Lee's movie too, which was also kind of a superhero movie in a way. So it's like, it's all love. Like I love the indie connection and being able to like see stuff like that there. So we're going to quickly wrap things up because we're on Zoom and we're cheap and we just got the one minute warning. Oh God, I didn't even see it. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. You can find us at mayfairtheater.ca and on the social medias. And we'll be back next week, likely in person back in the Mayfair, recording a podcast, telling you about the cool stuff we have the rest of the summer. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Oh, unfortunately, uh, Cage had to cancel coming to Montreal, but I couldn't get tickets before they sold out anyway, so it worked out. Everything works for the better. Hooray, no one's happy. (laughs) It lives 50 feet beneath the streets. It's 36 feet long. It weighs over 2,000 pounds. And it's about to break out. We're looking at the one who saw it. And it was big. You said it was dark. Now, perhaps you're mistaken. An alligator half that size would starve in a week. He kept coming up with some garbage about alligators in the sewers. Alligators? Once it escaped, there was no way to stop it. The safety of the public is my job. It could be anywhere. There he is. Ready to attack at any moment. I've seen what this animal can do. You'd better take all the help you can get. Keep coming. At first, no one believed it. Now, no one will forget. Alligator.